0: You 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 know I D I D in the in the town all day. I be, I be in the D the S E A, a you, you know I D I D in the in the town all day. I be, I be in the D the S E A, a
1: Hello and welcome to episode three hundred four of the fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Poliachi Pizza. I'm your co-host Kevin Pelton,
0: <laughs> and I'm Tristan Carzino.
1: <sighs> and we are coming to you in different locations this week. I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champions,
0: and I'm sad oh no
1: oh no Renton, washington no longer home of russell wilson or bobby wagner which is why we were on a third podcast of the day after two emergency pods reacting to the russell wilson trade which uh hopefully you have already checked out the the two of us immediately in the aftermath and then ben baldwin and zach whitman joined us a little later in the day to talk through things
0: i was a little bit late uh, getting here to start this podcast because I was looking through the photos of my phone and they start in 2013 is like when I got an iPhone for the first time and so every photo that I have is like saved starting in 2013 so it's like my entire life from that point forward and I was scrolling through them feeling so depressed wow
1: You really got yourself in the mood for this podcast by doing that.
0: Thanks, Pete. Thanks.
1: (laughs) I mean, we said it last year when Russell Wilson got (laughs) hurt. We had literally never done a Pelton cast where Russell Wilson wasn't the Seahawks starting quarterback.
0: I, I just love to be in this desolate place. I'm like the end of the night, like you've been drinking with the homies all day. And then all of a sudden things start to turn emotional at 11 p.m. And that's where I'm at. So I'm really happy that you don't like to pass the ball, Pete Carroll love to be here hey hey john really really love that you traded two first round picks for a safety thanks for doing that thanks for doing that sorry what oh a safety in in the box safety a safety you can't cover yeah thanks for trading for a safety who does the worst of earl thomas and the worst of cam chancellor combined into one well i don't know about that uh really so, love to look it, back on the last decade of my life and think about <laughs> things was hoping to do that on this rainy tuesday in march
1: in the time between when we recorded that po- <laughs> second emergency podcast and the time it was posted my espn colleague adam Schefter broke the news that the seahawks had told bobby wagner that they plan to release him uh, that apparent according to bob condotta the seattle times that move will be made official tomorrow so somehow the Seahawks took the number one player in career approximate value in Seahawks history <laughs> and the number three player in approximate value in Seahawks history and got rid of them both on the same fucking day after drafting them. Wow, on the same I guess that's true. You know, you build it up, tear it
0: down all at the same time. Who's number two? Is it Largen?
1: Largen is okay. in between them, yes.
0: Wow. Pete Carroll did nothing to him today?
1: Not, not that I know. He called him and wished him bad luck. Oh dear! Just carte blanche. Uh, well, let's let's crack open the beer that I have here. Uh, I don't know what, if anything, you're drinking this week because uh, we are recording separately. But I have the uh, hazy I can assure Jack you IPA.
0: I'm drinking something this
1: week. OK, OK, great. <laughs> hazy Jack IPA will maybe come clear over the course of this podcast. Hazy Jack IPA from Widmer Brewing, which alas is in Oregon. Uh, legend says that the greatest hops in the world grow from its antlers. Though many have tried, no one has found the animal or its elusive hops. But we still believe it's out there. This hazy pale ale pays tribute to the legend of Hazy Jack with bold, piney and citrusy hops and soft malt nuts. So pour a drink and raise it high to the chase yeah
0: and most importantly is people really care what beer you're drinking right now (laughs) out of all the things it's just a thing we do at the start of the podcast decade of our lives down the drain but you know have fun drinking that widmer jack hazy ipa so what is another year if anything but a passage of time
1: are you gonna do the like seinfeld bit the, Another year around the sun. The what? When he had to be like, the Seinfeld thing where he had to not be funny to upstage George in front of George's new girlfriend, and he turned morose about birthdays.
0: That implied that I was ever funny.
1: Wow. Good point. <sighs> oh, God. So, obviously a toast to Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner, two the two iconic Seahawks of our time following the team, since Steve Largent predates our era. Uh, Wagner, not APL, as a Pro...
0: senator governor senator senator yeah republican senator from oklahoma that overlapped was, that overlapped was, with our paying
1: attention but, uh him endorsing the ownership group from oklahoma city that bought the sonics
0: that overlapped oh yeah with our, oh
1: yeah our, our, our time uh Pete, Pete Carroll
0: endorsed them today <laughs> oh, no. somehow
1: <laughs> earned AP All-Pro first-team honors six times with an additional two appearances on the second team, including in 2021. Made eight Pro Bowl teams. Uh, missed just two games over the last six seasons, including the final game of 2021. So,
0: are we are we doing this emergency pod style? We haven't talked about this. Yeah, we're, For we're getting into it. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Um, what is the phrase? Uh, you either die uh, die die a hero or live long enough to become the villain, right?
1: Yes, yes, that's uh, Richard Sherman has been tweeting about that today. Has he really has retweeted? God, yeah, oh fucking yeah. Fucking
0: love Richard Sherman. Let's fucking go. Uh, Will today, Pete Carroll lived long enough to become the villain, and really, just I, I, I mean, look, the Bobby Wagner news. It doesn't. It didn't surprise anybody. We knew it was coming with Bobby, right? Like the chances of him returning to this team were minuscule and especially when they traded Russ it was just like it was over so i don't
1: i don't know if they're connected so i i got to say number one i'm surprised how surprised people are by this move i, I mean, mean you go back to our percentage chances when we did this at the end of the season i was the highest at 45% you were at 10% of Bobby Wagner uh, remaining finally uh, i was the worst yeah, you,
0: on russ but i nailed it on bobby yeah, that's why I mean to sample day. size these. Y- you know?
1: Ben was in between at 33%. And then when we asked Mike Sean a few weeks later, he said 80% chance wow. of Wagner returning. So I guess he was legitimately surprised by this. I mean, look, he was due to count $20.6 against the cap, just $3.75 million in dead signing bonus, meaning a $16.6 million savings. There was zero chance the Seahawks were bringing Bobby Wagner back on that contract. And, you know The question was whether they could find a deal that would make sense for both sides to lower that amount. And I think when Bobby Wagner, when the Seahawks thought about that, it was, well, look, you're not going to get $20.6 million on the open market, so take a pay cut. And just stay here where you've played your entire career. And I think Bobby Wagner looked at it and said, well, let's sign an extension that reduces my cap hit next year, but gets me more guaranteed money beyond that. And I would assume that somewhere in between those two positions was the impasse.
0: Yeah, it it just it, it's the reality. It's the business of doing of doing football like. Bobby Wagner just wasn't coming back because of the contract and also it's just it's time like the Seahawks I, I don't know if you're going to say that they're going through a full rebuild we don't really know yet the full extent of it but like Bobby Wagner is not an important part of their plans at this point point. and you know his play Bobby Wagner has always been an extraordinarily steady linebacker you know there's a handful of seasons that he went through Uh, Some injury struggles and the defense was significantly worse when he wasn't on the field. So we don't even know necessarily how bad that defense could have been last year without Bobby Wagner because he was relatively healthy these last couple of seasons. Uh, They might have been somehow even worse, but like. The reality was at this point in his career, paying somebody like Bobby that money just didn't make sense. You know, they decided to take all of their money and all of their draft picks and all of our fucking last 10 years of everything we built up and give it to Jamal Adams. And it's really great because what you want to do as an NFL franchise is rally around and in the box safety who doesn't actually get that much pressure. Oh, and is injury prone.
1: I mean, as much as the focus was last season on Jamal Adams, not blitzing, one thing that kind of happened quietly is Bobby Wagner almost never blitzed. It's and I Bobby want to Wagner's say that... choice.
0: I can confidently say that Bobby oh, didn't I, just I, decide I with to not that. blitz.
1: I would say that, you know, as much as obviously everyone thinks of his ability as a tackler, he led the NFL in tackles twice during the course of his career. Uh, and the fact that for such a reliable middle linebacker as a tackler, he was also phenomenal in coverage. But the thing I'm going to re- remember enjoying the most about Bobby Wagner is when he got a chance to blitz and his oh, adeptness dude. at doing
0: so. <laughs> Bobby blitzing was so fun. Like yeah. It's it's a bummer that this happened on the same day as Russ, so Bobby's not really getting the like full due respect that he deserves as maybe the greatest defensive player in
1: Seahawks history. I would say unquestionably. I, I mean, I think that you could say that Earl Thomas was maybe better at peak and Sherm was maybe better at peak. But when you consider Cortez. the fact that... Yeah, that's true. Defensive Player of the Year. Yes, yes. I, I the the longevity for Wagner to play at that level. Bo- Bobby had the combination of
0: longevity and high high caliber play and circumstantial play, which like Cortez never really had. Like Cortez right. never played in a playoff yes. game with the Seahawks. Is that right? Or maybe played in no, one. No, he played in
1: '99. I think
0: played in yeah one pretty brutal playoff game as a Seahawks. That is correct. Like <laughs> yes. Bobby Bobby Wagner played in important playoff games. He won Super Bowls with the Seahawks. Sorry. Super Bowl with the Seahawks. All right. He he participated in Super Bowls with the Seahawks. But like Bobby did this at a consistently high level for a long, long time. I mean, all of these players, like what we've seen is a tearing down today of two players who were like the second they can be in the ring of honor, the second they can be eligible for the hall of fame, they will be first ballot hall of famers and the Seahawks let go of two of them
1: in one day. And yet, as you said, I, I don't think we're going to know anything about whether this is a quote unquote rebuild until we figure out what the Seahawks are doing at quarterback. That's what's going to determine it. If they do draft a quarterback, you know, in the first two rounds and, you know, just bring in a stop gap or, or someone like that to compete with them. Well, maybe that's drew lock then yeah it, it's a rebuild. uh if it's drew lock it's a rebuild what i'm saying is the person to compete with them okay if it's drew a person Locke. who can compete with drew lock it's a rebuild <laughs> yes that's a fair a fair way of, whereas if they go out and trade for a veteran or sign a veteran free agent i don't think it's necessarily real rebuild. by the way uh it was pointed out by bill bornwell That on the first emergency pod today, we wondered why Teddy Bridgewater wasn't in the trade. And the reason for that is, of course, because Teddy Bridgewater is a free agent. He's a free agent. agent.
0: Yeah, I I thought that was the case.
1: Uh, So we mentioned Jameis a lot. Marcus Mariota is also in there. I would be... You know, he's obviously a, a riskier option in some of the trades It's one routes, of those but,
0: things where you fall in love with like fringe backup quarterbacks where you're Oh, like, we
1: would talk ourselves into it so I hard. Mean, I mean you mentioned Mariota. It's it's
0: like we haven't seen Mariota play badly recently. So. Exactly. <laughs> Jameis was hurt for much of the season, so <laughs> I mean I think I, I don't know, we, we probably shouldn't get into it. next week we can start talking about the next quarterback. Yeah, but it's too soon to do that. And what's most important is this is it. it is unprecedented. I mean, really, Belichick is the only one, I think, who you can look at and say this entire era of players came and went and the coach somehow was still standing at the end of it.
1: I mean, I'm sure that there, it's happened before in you know pre-modern nfl history like chuck knoll i would assume outlasted all of those dealers obviously uh don shula like goes from the undefeated dolphins in the early 70s to coaching dan marino in the 80s to coaching into the 90s so but
0: dan marino outlasted don shula with the dolphins that is he retired with fucking changeli as his head coach or whatever like james john james Jimmy Johnson, right? Jimmy Johnson won that playoff game against us. I think that was still the Jimmy Johnson era. Yeah. Okay. Well, but the, like, the reality is it's a, like, in kind of uncharted territory. I mean, like, I guess you could say that Mike Tomlin is somebody who now currently has outlasted a generation of Steelers players with Big Ben retiring and is kind of on to the next generation. Like, it's a similar thing to what's happening in Pittsburgh to a certain extent. Where you look at it...
1: Except it's not similar because Ben Roethlisberger is
0: retiring. It's, it's
1: similar... They're not, they're not doing this by choice.
0: It's similar in terms of, like, it's a completely new generation. And Tomlin is still there. But Pete Carroll having outlasted all of these players who have such huge impact. And it really... Is yes,
1: Is Bruce Irvin tweeted about? Did he? He did. What did he you've say? You've been missing some Seahawks, ex-Seahawks players' tweets today. What tonight, did Bruce player? say? Because you, you've been at the Sounders game uh pete and john really outlasted everyone i think it's pete and js outlasted everyone lol
0: i mean i i guess props to them it almost reminds me of i watched this weekend the kanye west documentary genius on netflix and i was like wow the first 30 minutes i was like damn this is tight as hell i am so into this by like part two i was like wow we really are focusing a lot on Cootie and his relationship with Kanye. And by part three, I was like, Cootie dog, I'm so sorry. We do not care about your relationship as the director with Kanye West. Kanye West is a transcendent artist. You're a person who filmed a transcendent artist. The second that you rap, I say, fuck the police. That's how I treat him. We buy our way out of jail, but we can't buy freedom. And then drug dealer by Jordan Crackhead by crack and the white man get paid off of all of that. Fucking call me Cootie. Because just documenting somebody else doing something brilliant doesn't mean that you're brilliant. It means that you're holding a camera to brilliance. And maybe recognizing brilliance is one thing, but the actual brilliance is the most important thing. And hearing a story of your relationship with somebody who is brilliant is not that compelling. And in the same way, drafting Russell Wilson, coaching Russell Wilson, being in the front office with Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner... That's fucking dope for you. I am so happy for you. Nobody remembers. We're not reminiscing about our top five Pete Carroll on the sideline moments. We're not reminiscing about our top five John Schneider moments. No. We don't I mean, I've give. Got, I've got a top five Pete Carroll on the sideline. But it, they moments. Come on, the do Mr. Peanut gift? not matter. It is all in response to what somebody else does. Right? Like there are players on the field. That's who we care about. We don't watch the football games for the coach. They do not matter. And it's like, they fucking, in the same way that this Kanye West documentary, lost the thread of who we care about, which is the artist Kanye West that we care about and listen to his songs. Not some dude I'd never heard of before I watched the documentary. It's not the coach that they occasionally show on the broadcast. It is the football players who are on the field every single play. The quarterback who's throwing the most brilliant passes we've ever seen in our entire lives. Am I wrong about this? Like, how do the other people who happen to be near greatness outlast the greatness. It's one of the saddest things we've seen, to be honest.
1: It's, I mean, I I think, again, outlasting greatness is a different thing than choosing to part with greatness. Forcibly getting rid of greatness. And, I mean, I think what fans really care about... Cooney was still happy to film Kanye West, at the very least. I mean, (laughs) there's going to be new stars. There always are just as we moved on from Doug Baldwin and Jermaine curse, <laughs> Did I Jerm- throw Jermaine curse? Jermaine but we loved S- us some Jermaine <laughs> curse, but then Tyler Lockett <laughs> came along and DK Metcalf came along and it was a new group of players to be really excited about. And granted, you know, their success was facilitated by Russell Wilson. But what I'm saying is what people actually care about is the team. And if the team is successful, they will move on. If the team is not successful, fans will be unhappy and Pete and Sean will be gone, and there will be a full regime regime change. Easy for me to say.
0: It's coming. I mean, we just don't. It's like, it is the most evident matter-of-fact situation. Like, it, it might not happen after next season, but it'll happen the season after that, or the season after that. Like, this isn't a team that's going to the Super Bowl. This isn't a team that's making a long playoff run. We know that. Unless something very, very unexpected happens, and it's just not the reality of the NFL right now. Like there are certain coaches who are successful and it's not a Pete Carroll style coach, you know, and it's teams that have good quarterbacks. Yep. It's not teams that are devoid of talent. And, And I think, again, it's unfortunate that Bobby doesn't get more of a day because he's perhaps the greatest defensive player in Seahawks history. And he's sort of just an afterthought at the end of the day, his release, which is really a bummer because without Bobby Wagner, Russell Wilson doesn't happen. And those Super Bowls don't happen. And that long run doesn't necessarily happen without Bobby Wagner. So, I mean, again, it was an incredible draft, what they did, you know, and what they did over those two seasons, drafting all of those players, many of whom will end up being Hall of Famers, Ring of Honor type players. And it's unfortunate that from that moment forward, basically, is like taking a, a car off the lot. Like from that moment forward, it felt like they didn't do anything to serve those players in the proper way.
1: Again, they signed Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett. That, it, that After two thousand thirteen. Yes, yes. We'll give them after
0: the We day will day day. give them that one offseason. That same offseason, they did trade a first round pick for Percy Harvard and then pay him. They did they, they committed That was after the two thousand twelve season? Yeah, I guess it Correct. was. Correct. And he was a free agent that they extended immediately, right? Uh, I don't think he was a free agent, but they did extend him immediately. The, yes. they They committed crime number one of roster building, which is trading an asset and then trade trading an asset for a player and then going out of your way to pay that player. Like it wasn't a a, a roster controlled player. It was an expensive player and trading an asset for it. And they did it one, two, three times in a row, and it fucked up the roster. That's it. Like, I think you can really point to, you could fuck up the Rashad Penny pick, you know, or long-term have it hit. Like, you can make a lot of dra- dra- bad draft picks along the way, but you can't screw up those three extraordinarily important moments.
1: Yes, you can only do it once, as the Rams did with, who was the first wide receiver? Brandon the Cooks. For? Cooks, yeah, yeah, I thought so. Uh, and they they lucked it in the same way. They made that, it
0: wasn't a good trade for Brandon Cooks, but they lucked into Cooper Cup. And they, they lucked into Robert Woods. And they, like, they they had, like, they've won the same amount of Super Bowls in that time period as the Seahawks won. So, like, they did trade a lot of assets for Jalen Ramsey and then pay Jalen Ramsey though, And it'll hurt them but, in the long but run. They,
1: but they hit on that one because Jalen Ramsey was a legitimate difference-making player in a way that none of the three Seahawks players were.
0: Like, it's a rating of, we'll see for me. But they won, they won a Super Bowl. They won the same amount of Super Bowls as the Seahawks did by going all in. The Seahawks just – they didn't alienate Matthew Stafford, right? The Rams aren't making decisions being like, hey, Aaron Donald, we're not going to give you any help at all. Sorry. Like, they're still fundamentally trying to help Aaron Donald. And I don't think the Seahawks did that. And it's just like I, – I, I wish that there was some sort of perspective about it from the front office and it just doesn't feel like there was. And now as fans, we have to suffer. But we had, we had an amazing 10 years.
1: Amazing 10 years. All right. Anything else on the Seahawks? A couple of notes before we get back to the toast. Uh, First off, (laughs) that was our toast. No, we're getting back to the toast. (laughs) I mean, there was a toast at the beginning of that uh first off our sponsors paliaci pizza wanted to alert everybody to the pie day special that they have coming up next week next monday is 3 14 pie day order an 11 inch pizza and get a second 11 inch pizza for just three dollars <sighs> and 14 cents you don't even have to pay the uh additional fraction 159 that's as far as i can go with pie
0: uh second a follow-up that, from last week that deal is so good at Fills the emptiness in my soul. Oh, I thought you were going to say Pete Carroll was going to trade it. Oh, wow. Even better.
1: <laughs> a follow-up from last week's pod, we got a DM from David Skiva's fiance after he was on <laughs> here talking about the naming of the Jandy Ronson uh, IPA that we drank last week, which was phenomenal. And she wanted to note that she did think of the spoonerism of Jandy Ronson and also suggested adding the doves in the background on the cans, which we were go. a nice touch. There we go. And a correction from that discussion about Julio Rodriguez, not part of the Mariners minor league camp because he is on the team's 40-man MLB roster and therefore is part of the yes, lockout.
0: And because we can't have nice things. <laughs> that's, that's, I liked that's, what that's Luca asked if we if we were watching the game that Russell Wilson hit the... Or Russell Wilson. Uh, that this was a, a different baseball uh, spring training game. That Randy Johnson hit the bird when it was flying by and it was like, Doc, that was an Arizona Diamondbacks spring training game? No. <laughs> um, we were not, not watching.
1: Not. <laughs> I doubt it was televised outside, maybe the Arizona area and wherever else they were playing. Uh, next up, congrats to UW's Terrell Brown Jr., named to the 10 person there we go. All Pac 12 first team, although he did not win Conference Player of the Year, that went to Benedict Matherin from Arizona. And then a congrats to Seattle U men's basketball, which shared the WAC regular season championship wow. after beating Chicago State 74 66 Saturday to finish 14 and 4 in conference play Ugh. in Mexico State. Also went fourteen and four. Will be the number one seed in the conference tournament, which starts uh, started Tuesday in Las Vegas. Seattle U gets a berth direct a bye directly to the semifinals and will enter the tournament on Friday, two wins away from an automatic berth in the NCAA tournament. All right, let's go, Seattle uh, U. Co- Coach Chris Victor named WAC coach of the year. So pretty good year for Chris Victor wild. to go from not a head coach at the start of the season to coach of the year. That's wild. Our Seattle food update. It's week two of Little Woody's fast food month. Uh, we should talk br- briefly, by the way. So I don't know if you're aware of this. The J. Kenji Lopez all chicken sandwich that we talked about last week, week one of Lil Woody's fast food month. Wild success. Largely probably because of the Pelton cast. Uh, they actually ran out of them at all the locations except White Center by Sunday night. Didn't have any of them for Monday, which is the last day of the first week of fast food fun. Wow. And I heard some rave reviews. That hasn't
0: happened since the Peltoncast burger, I think.
1: <laughs> I don't believe it happened. If we if it had happened with the Pelton Cast burger, we'd have done the Pelton Cast burger again. There was no uh, like special ingredients in the Pelton Cast burger. <laughs> no. The we don't Chris have Wheeler. burger patties anymore. <laughs> The listener, Chris Wheeler, said that he had it at a a different location than I did and that in his opinion, it rivaled cookies for the best chicken sandwich in the city Mm. ahead of Maono and whatever other candidates you want to throw in there. So uh, if you didn't get it, get it as Tristan didn't, you missed out. This week, week two of Little Woody's Fast Food Month is the Bombay Joe's Burger from Preeti Agawal of Misha in Fremont. This her description, this Indian lamb sloppy joe is inspired by Mumbai's keema pav and is made with a twist. If you've tried keema pav at one of the Irani restaurants in India, you'd get why keema pav has the iconic status that it done does. Spicy lamb mince slow cooked with spices and garnished with pickled red onions and jalapenos. I gave this a little facelift and call them Bombay Joes. So it was quite good, very messy as you would expect from something that is a twist on a sloppy joe, but uh delicious nonetheless uh i will alert people to one thing so i went this week to get it and i didn't realize until after i was back home that i forgot to get my punch card stamped for week two the next step towards the tote bag so wow. what's gonna happen i mean we do know people so maybe we can take <laughs> care of this but i want to make sure the listener goes for week two get it make sure it to get big. it stamped okay they didn't say anything about it, so I just never thought of it.
0: Get your punch card stamped. Wow. Okay. You're in dangerous territory now.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's a good looking tote bag. I want to get that tote bag. Gotta uh, get that tote. Free sub. Uh, Top Chef update. Okay. We're, we're getting that this week. You have not seen Top Chef last week, correct? No. This is a spoiler alert for you. Oh, God. So we are going to have spoilers. Uh, I'll put the time after we do the top chef update in the notes in case you want to skip ahead and don't want that spoiled. Uh, But a rough start for Seattle native Luke Colpin in Thursday's season premiere of top chef Houston, as he failed to get his team's food on the plate in the opening quick fire competition, ran out of time months back with a better showing in the elimination challenge though the judges questioned the balance of the dish is his team finished in the middle three of the elimination challenge. Uh, my friends Kevin Arnovitz and Tom Haberstroh on the Pack Your Knives podcast did their uh, fantasy draft of Top Chef chef testants. and uh, Luke went in the middle rounds. Tom took him in the middle rounds, and Kevin said he was four, he was I think twelfth out of the fourteen remaining competitors in his pre draft rankings, which is about where I had Luke. I put together some some draft rankings too.
0: You did a mock draft, a, a mock Top Chef draft. Wow.
1: Yeah. I wanted to compare, match it up to where Kevin and Tom had. Couldn't everybody. we have just
0: waited a second? And I don't tell you what happened in Winning Time this week. <laughs> I, I don't have to tell you whether the Lakers drafted Magic Johnson or not.
1: <laughs> Some of us prioritize watching Top Chef before this podcast.
0: I, it's fine. Well, again, no spoilers from the Winning Time side. We'll see. Okay. Does Dr. Jerry Bus buy the Lakers? I don't Who can know. Tell? Magic, we'll see.
1: Do we have any season ending coaches corner although you were not on the bench this week?
0: Sure. Okay.
1: Well, I saw from Mrs. Fantasy Genius on Instagram that it was a a pretty dominant victory for the Cavaliers last Saturday in the season finale without you.
0: Uh so I was on a plane as this game was happening. I was stressed. I mean, this is the last game of the year felt like the kids were really coached up. Most importantly, Than anything else. And I'm getting texted about the game. It was just like. What should we do as far as lineups go? I gave like pretty clear instruction. On the lineups to play. Everybody showed up. So it was
1: basically like you were a head coach. Who was unavailable due to health and safety protocols. But was still kind of guiding things. mm -hmm. From afar.
0: Or like Major League 2 when I was in the hospital. Uh, There you go yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, But the they played in a different gym than they previously played before so that w- that was an, a, an oh, wow. unexpected wrinkle is playing one gym over and missing kids because of that uh, but i'm getting these texts <laughs> and it's like all here all set game just started uh, and then all of a sudden boom up eight nothing and then 14-0 and then the next text after that 28 to 2 wow and then 36 to 6. I said to myself, "Wow, this team is playing so well. Who coached them all year?" And it really was just like, you know, this game, it was the same team that they dominated at the beginning of the season. That team got a lot better. Played a closer game in the middle of the season. To to bookend it with another dominant victory. Uh I believe the final was like 42 to 8 or something like that in this game, to dominate with a a bookended, another massive victory like that. And it was really important to me to see how far the kids had come throughout the year and how well coached they were. I would say if, if, you know, the Seahawks made the wrong decision by prioritizing the coach over the star players. And if there's one place that it's important to prioritize the coaching over the players, it's in youth basketball, for sure and i think this team is really the evidence of what really fine coaching can do on impressionable minds
1: did you self award yourself coach of the year for this league
0: oh i mean there's no doubt about it right like
1: if you, <laughs> did you did your team i don't know that there actually is an official championship but you you there was one team that you split with right uh we lost to one time oh, that's and right. then we tied in the true, other time. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what
0: the outcome was in their other games so and look, you're just, maybe they won you're gonna be like the Helms.
1: Else. You're going to be like the Helms Foundation in claiming this national
0: championship. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. We are claiming this national championship. Uh, she was telling me that the kids got me a gift. I'm like flying back, been up extraordinarily late in Nashville the night before. And it's like, you know, by the time I'm flying back, it's like 11 p.m. Central or whatever. And I was like exhausted and just, you know, you're just like feeling emotional after all of everything that happened in Nashville or whatever. Everything that happened in Nashville that was staying there. Just, like, so emotional. And she was like, the kids got you a gift. And I was just like, I can't even really emotionally take this. And then the Seahawks traded Russell Wilson. Uh, But then I I opened up, there was a card from the kids and a gift certificate to Red Robin. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I enjoyed a a Red Robin burger on Sunday night, top notch. And uh, the first thing that I read was coach tristan and i was like yes and they're talking about how great of a season it was from the kids and i was like if the seahawks hadn't traded russell wilson i was so ready to start this podcast by introducing myself as the coach tristan carasino and it kind of just felt like it got lost in the mix
1: you and bobby wagner both overshadowed yeah
0: (laughs) that is the one thing that me and bobby wagner have in common
1: Well, this is the end of the basketball season. We'll see if there's any baseball coaching coming ahead. I also, we received the message from Mrs. Fantasy Genius that uh, Baby Fantasy Genius at the practice on Sunday was uh, correcting the coaches when they described a lead off. uh, Primary versus secondary lead. Secondary lead off. And it's like, wow, I have never felt a stronger kinship with Baby Fantasy Genius. Except for the one time we both got Woldell on the first try, I guess. That would be the other time. He's pretty good at Woldell. We... Very good. Much too good. Uh, should we do our Seattle sports roundup?
0: Are we going to talk Nashville and Boston at all?
1: I feel like it's been over that. <laughs> Russell I, Wilson I mean, gets traded, so you can't even talk about Nashville? I mean, I don't really have that. Any, any. Well, I do have one story to share from Boston. That's right. We We needed to talk about this. So I'm getting off the plane back in Seattle on Sunday night. Okay, and the person sitting next to me as we're waiting to plane strikes up a conversation about I was working in R on some on uh, manipulating some play by play data for the NBA. Actually, and he's like, "What was that you were coding?" And I explained it, and he's like, "Is that work?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm a writer for ESPN, and you know about basketball." And the person standing in the aisle who had been sitting across from me on the flight goes. Are you Kevin? (laughs) God, (laughs) And it turns out diehard listener to the hoop collective podcast with Brian Windhorst. So Brian Windhorst and the hoop collective. So knew my work from there and, uh, and assumed that if there was an NBA writer in Seattle, it was probably going to be me, which is a safe assumption.
0: I could feel the reverberations of your ego growing (laughs) all the way from here. Are you kidding me?
1: I am not kidding. Oh my. Did they work in sports? The the person yes. who listened to the podcast? No, no affiliation whatsoever. Oh my God. The the one Great mistake story, was. I, fer- <laughs> I forgot to sell this person uh on the Pelton cast. Oh wow. Which was a real missed opportunity. <laughs> Hopefully they'll see one of the, the retweets of the emergency pod.
0: That's really funny. Uh I just want to talk about. I guess before, if we're moving on from any... Are we going to talk about the Seahawks again? Are we done?
1: I don't have them on the roundup again.
0: Okay. I just want to talk generally about this era of the Seahawks, though, because I feel like it's a little bit like... I mean, this is done. There are different facets to it, right? But this was the greatest football we may ever see in our entire lives. Like, There's no given that we'll see better football. And it probably... I would say it's almost unlikely that we'll see football that is as fun
1: as what this era of the seahawks did and i mean even if the seahawks win a super bowl to have been number one in dvoa for four years in a row or whatever the streak was four-time dvoa champs and just in the mix for such a long period of time yeah i i think it's exceedingly unlikely that that ever happens in our life as football fans
0: when there's like something about how it happened which was like i mean you know that I have huge respect to the L.A. Rams, of course. But, like, how you construct a team and win a Super Bowl, there's different ways to do it, and there's some ways that are more fun than others. And the reality is, if you trade for Matthew Stafford, if you trade for Odell Beckham Jr., if you trade for Von Miller, if you trade for Jalen Ramsey, like... They signed Odell Beckham Jr. as a free agent for the record. Sure, fair enough, because the Seahawks didn't. Because, really, just top-notch GM work going on. Let's just fucking turn the franchise over to those dudes. But... If you bring in so many players from the outside that you didn't develop yourself, honestly, it's not as fun. Like, we know that's the case. There's winning a Super Bowl is always fun. But like, I mean, the Rams,
1: you can still argue their two best players were developed. It's
0: different. You know, it's different, though. Like, also, they didn't have the city behind them in the same sort of way. It wasn't like, well, yeah, there was no groundswell. They didn't, they didn't like the way that the Seahawks got to the Super Bowl and then got back to the Super Bowl. Like, A it was probably the most fun way possible to get to a Super Bowl, which is you tease it a little bit for one year and then you're like, wow, that team's going to come back next year and be amazing. And it actually happened.
1: It's one of those things where you expected, but we to also, time and also time. that we saw the darkness in both championship games.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there were phenomenal games that they played, but to like have it be your homegrown third round drafted quarterback, this wasn't Joe Burrow as the first pick in the draft. This wasn't Matthew Stafford as the first pick in the draft. This was like a player who was overlooked for a lot of their career because of his height or whatever. And to have that player and that defense, you know, the whole mentality and like ego of that team. The attitude that they had, like we talked about, there was that Niners game in 2012 on Sunday Night Football, December 23rd, I believe, 2012. And it was like the electricity that existed in that building and in Seattle at the time is like that was the camp chancellor game. You know, that wasn't the Russell Wilson game. It was like Cam chancellor hitting Vernon Davis on that play. That was it. Like he owned that game and crushing that team and how it happened. And that we sort of like had these huge foes in the division, right? The 49ers went to the Super Bowl the previous year and that the Seahawks both beat them in consecutive years and kind of destroyed them a couple of times. There was so much to it where it's like this was such an incredibly fun experience and that carried on for multiple years after that. And it really came from the attitude and the personality of those players like Richard Sherman. You see K.J. Wright, like K.J. Wright wasn't necessarily that outspoken as a player, but even hearing him talk about football. And he's a person you want to hear talk about football. Bobby, where like talking about his press conferences eight to 10 years later, like where he's talking about how he has a specific point that he wants to make each week. Having these types of players who not only are phenomenal football players, some of the best that we've ever seen. But had this like attitude and personality and this like.
1: Why need to stop you here? Because I think this is one place where you're going to have to credit Pete Carroll, for allowing that personality to show.
0: Pete Carroll, I will say, is very good at almost every other aspect of running a football team, except for the running the football team part of it. Are we talking about this? Pete, Pete Carroll is a leader of men in the most traditional sense. Like Pete Carroll even though the relationships seem to kind of go south with Pete Carroll after a certain period of time, you know, it seems like Pete Carroll is not, not like the dude who you're friends with 20 years into your career. Maybe they'll circle back on it, but he is somebody who you can feel really supported, like expressing yourself as your head coach. And you're not going to feel like you're, I don't know if muzzled is the right term or if that's an offensive. In a box. Yeah. In a box. Like the, that's not something that's going to happen with Pete Carroll as your head coach. And I will give him credit for that.
1: But I think the other part of it is, <clears> it's not just that there were these personalities is that they were very different personalities. Yeah. Like, you know, all, all across the the spectrum from Russell Wilson's like very buttoned up approach to press conferences to, you know, as you mentioned, Bobby Wagner's very thoughtful approach and an intentional approach to it, to Doug Baldwin's outspoken approach you know, always very candid. I mean, that was fun too, is it's not just that the personalities are all the same. It's that it's a team in the best sense of drawing people with these different backgrounds and different interests and bringing them together towards a common goal, as long as they were on the same unit, either offense or defense.
0: <laughs> uh, well, Uh I think the funny thing is when we were talking about the memories with Ben earlier, it's like, oh yeah, that game, that was the like, that was the UMAD program. That's like a Richard Sherman game. And that's a Cam Chancellor game. And that's a Doug Baldwin game. And that's the Peace Quake 2, right? Like everybody kind of had their own game where it's almost yep. like Russ kind of got lost in that time period to a certain extent. Russ is just like, he was field general in the best possible sense in that you didn't even necessarily want Russ to stand out too much because there were all these other players to stand out. It's just like, Get these players the ball and let them do their thing. And then Russ, over time, was able to exert himself a little bit more. And you have this new generation of personalities, right? Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf and players like that. Like, there's definitely another generation. They didn't quite develop it on defense in the same way. But I just think about, like, I bring it back to music that, like, really hits on an emotional level. And when I was in Nashville, I was thinking about music where it's just like, I want stuff that is both like melodic and hip hop, but also pummeling in a certain sense where it's like, why does turnstile matter? Like why is turnstile literally the only band that is universally loved? You know what I mean? And it's just like that shit is pummeling and it'll hit you in the chest, but it's also like, it is a hip hop music, right? It's produced by Michael Azondo, produced 2001 and you can feel that aspect of it and it's melodic. And it's pop music and you're like, that's when all the things that really are lasting, like you hear like Kanye at his peak, you know, and it's like, like life of Pablo just like hits you and you're like, God damn, that shit, it hurts. You can feel it, but it's also melodic and beautiful at the same time. And that's really what the sport of football is, you know, like basketball is such a grace sport, but the pummeling nature with the like graceful and the beauty nature of it is that's when football feels really amazing. And that's what the Seahawks had for a long time. You know, there's all sorts of different ways to approach it. You could be sludgy or you could just be too beautiful or whatever. But like the Seahawks had the perfect balance of the most Elegant shit that you could possibly do as a football team. There was they weren't really a sludgy team necessarily that much.
1: They, they were <laughs> except, except in the rain in December against the Rams
0: or the Cardinals. Cardinals yes, that was sludgy. The you might even win the Super Bowl and be sludgy for one game, but like it, it was beautiful what they did, and also they were pummeling. You know, that defense was a hard hitting, fast, aggressive defense that would talk shit to your face. And it really is just like, this is why football is such an incredible sport. It has the balance of the two, right? And it has like, it has energy and aggression and it's exciting, but also it is, it's like everything you're doing is so thought out going into each play. Right. You're drawing up literally where everybody is going to go on each play. There's more that goes into it that goes into probably a basketball play and any given play than any baseball play. Right. Especially not they're banning the goddamn shift. Right. They're basically just like ending strategy completely in baseball. So it really would say that. Pathetic sport. Pathetic sport. Also, I don't, I don't but, like
1: strategy that much. I much prefer players making plays, which is why my favorite part of the Seahawks is Russell Wilson once the pocket broke down.
0: Or even, but even then, in football, you get it all right on any play. You could draw some shit up. The other team could figure it out, and you still have a chance. You know, you could still do it's a, other. It's shit. clear to me
1: how that's not the case in basketball. But okay,
0: ba- you? basketball, you're not drawing up as complex plays. You can't say that's different.
1: You're not drawing up his rigid plays.
0: There's nothing as clear as a run or a pass in basketball. Sure. And basketball is a really fun sport also, but there, there's just like the having that, it really makes you appreciate just like how phenomenal and fun of a sport football is. And that's kind of what the Seahawks team did. You know, like I cared about football a decade ago, but the Seahawks team, like it took it to a different level. We had a full year where we didn't watch the Seahawks every game, you know? Like
1: there were multiple
0: times. It's coming back. I mean, I remember multiple years where it's just like, you know what? I can actually not watch the Seahawks game. I'm fine.
1: And then. I mean, it's it, actually not because we're going to have to continue podcasting about the Seahawks. We can just end the podcast. Who cares?
0: It's Russell Wilson's gone. What's the fucking point? Uh, but. I'm telling you, pivoting into pivoting a Broncos, bye. <laughs> once once Russell Wilson got here and Bobby Wagner the same year, every single game mattered. And I think that's really like what the difference was, is it it was such an incredible era, And even, you know, they had that streak where they hadn't lost a game by more than one touchdown for so long. Like they were in every game, even if they were going to lose, they were in every game. It's just it was such a unique situation that we were in. And we didn't have to fucking deal with, like, look, I'm sure Packers fans love Aaron Rodgers, but, like, Aaron Rodgers is really a lot to deal with. You got to put some shit behind you. You got to overlook some shit for the good football, you know, on a a human level. But with Russ, you didn't really have to do that. There might have been, like, some mild cringe that you had to look past with Russ, but it wasn't like our fucking quarterback is going on the punters' radio show again. You know what I mean? You're just like... (laughs) we have to deal with that now. Like he's saying that he's being canceled or whatever. Cancel culture I, is coming from like
1: Russ was the, not that. The beauty deep. of it is Russell Wilson had a podcast and I don't remember. I think he still has it. I don't remember a single thing from that podcast ever. No, There was Ken Griffey Jr. Was on there once that seemed to, that was exciting, but there was never, never made any news. Very bland. <laughs> As we praise the amazing personalities I, of the other CX. But it's, it's the, the diversity of personalities. Right. Blend. Well, you know what team is not making you appreciate the beauty of their sport right now?
0: Don't tell me. The Kraken.
1: It is the Seattle Kraken. <sighs> who did snap their losing streak last Wednesday with a 4-3 win over the Predators as you landed in Nashville. Really, really a dark moment for the city of Nashville, but uh, uh, then started their road trip and lost 5-2 Saturday at Washington, 3-2 Sunday at Carolina, and 6-4 Tuesday at Toronto. They wrap up that five-game road trip with two more games at Ottawa and Montreal and then have four days off before beginning a homestand. Uh, the big Kraken news, though, of the past week is that on, on Tuesday, in the biggest Seattle sports news of the day, they re-signed leading scorer Jared McCann to a five-year, $25 million contract extension. McCann was set to be a restricted free agent this summer at age 25, having already scored a career-high 21 goals this season. So, one Kraken player. No, no Seahawks, but one Kraken player will be sticky around. Uh, let's talk, though, about the Seahawks, because, the Seahawks, the Sounders, because you were at tonight's thrilling match, a 3-0 CONCACAF Champions League win over Leone in the first leg of that two-game aggregate, two-match aggregate series. What was it like?
0: Well, the entire time I was thinking to myself how incredible of a game it was and how I wanted to talk about my trip to Nashville. And (laughs) you're going to tell me about all the Kraken's losses and we can't talk about Nashville for one second?
1: Fine, but I don't know you need to do it right now. The the most important
0: aspect of it was before I went to Nashville,
1: Third Pelton Brother
0: Reese sent me over a list of recommendations for Nashville, which was like the most thorough list of recommendations that any person could ever send for any other person in a city. It was like there were footnotes, it was like there was a quote where it was like
1: there's Are you saying that I need to step up my recommendation game? Have I sent this to you yet? No.
0: Yes. After you read it, the answer is emphatically yes.
1: Tom Haberstroh, coming up for a second time in this podcast, did send us a very detailed guide to Charlotte during 2019 All Star Weekend.
0: Okay, so I have an idea. Say, do you still have that? I do. Not that anybody's ever going to Charlotte, but uh, the so his recommendations were like all the way down to there is no Rainier of Nashville, as previously discussed. That's a quote. Yes. so good. It was just like. <laughs> Extraordinarily thorough, but also like here's the real shit that you want to do. This is not like you know, like our uncles. Like, are you going to go to the Grand Ole Opry there? And it's like, you know what, Bob, I'm not. And this was like, here are the it's bars that I want to go to. The
1: record, what? It's pretty far away for the record, isn't it? The Grand Ole Opry? It's like outside of town.
0: Well, I have no idea. So <laughs> I went. I mean, not that nowhere I nowhere near to the to Grand go go there, Opry, but I did look it up. But it was like, here's the shit that I want to do. These are the bars to go to. These are the restaurants to go to. If you're going to get hot chicken, this is where you go get hot chicken. Right? And he said, if you're going to go get hot chicken, make the trek out to Prince's. Which I unfortunately didn't do. But mostly because of timing. I was willing which, to do it. Which I did do. I feel like you need to have... Like, I was just kind of busy. I had meetings there. I was technically there on business. But it was like, during the day, having like music meetings. So finding things that fit around that. and didn't have a like, long period of time. Um, he recommended a taco place Wait, I want to look up the taco place's name. Actually. Um, I just searched for the word Nashville in my email. Here we go. A taco place called Moss Tacos. And he said on, on his description, this is a must going to Moss Tacos. And it was like, all right, if Reese says this is a must, I'm going to Moss Tacos. Grilled avocado tacos. I mean, come on. They were pretty phenomenal. Uh, it was just, like, such a great experience, and it's 75 degrees outside, and you could just, like, get, get yes,
1: a... It was not 75 degrees in Boston, let me tell you. Get
0: a margarita and get tacos and eat it outside. Like, it's such a phenomenal experience. Also went to a bar called... Um, Wilburn Street Tavern. Tavern. That was right next door to the restaurant that I was eating dinner at, got there early before the dinner. Uh, and my friend and I, who I was there with we it was like a shot and a beer <clears throat> for seven like we just got beers. It was like seven dollars for a shot and a beer. and there was a bottle of malort sitting behind the table. Are you familiar with Malort?
1: I am Yes, Chicago, right?
0: Yes. And it was just like way licorice. not licorice no. basically it tastes tastes like grapefruit peel. And as somebody who loves offensive flavors, such as myself, (laughs) I was a great description of yourself. No, I do. Like, I really like earthen flavors, sour, like a a sort of like a like mildly offensive flavor is what I'm interested in.
1: And so Malort opposed to mildly offensive comments
0: naturally is my shit. And I was like, wait, can we get Malort as a shot? And then so I'm taking shots of Malort drinking these beers outside. And it was 75 degrees, 5 p.m. The sun was out. It was beautiful. And I was like, this is it? Like, there literally is no better moment in life, excluding
1: nothing. <laughs> I was like, the being in Nashville is the peak of peak
0: of life. Not, you don't necessarily need to be in Nashville, because I mentioned this to third Pelton brother Chris earlier. And he was like, oh, yeah, it's like when you're in the Loretta's patio and it's okay, sunny outside God. over the summer. And I'm like, yeah, Don, yeah. like, that's it. This is all this fucking bullshit we do day to day, right? Everything that we deal with and care about, all it is, is pointing to having a moment where it is 75 degrees, maybe slightly warmer, maybe slightly cooler, but not much. Probably not too much warmer either. Sitting on a
1: patio, drinking a
0: cold, cheap
1: lager style beer, which you misidentify as the Nashville of, uh, I'm sorry, the Rainier of, uh, of upstate new york right rochester
0: it's look it's can in rochester i think it might be owned by a company from rochester but i i was on the right
1: track that got a lot of feedback on instagram more than i think any other instagram post we've ever had
0: really really love correcting me but (laughs) the that's it that is the number one moment in life and it was such an incredible experience sitting there. I fucking loved every experience in Nashville. My favorite thing about it is being in East Nashville. You'll be walking along and you're like, like, literally like, like strip mall pharmacy, subway, not the subway, a subway sandwiches, subway, yeah. like, Waffle House, extraordinarily cool coffee shop, extraordinarily cool bar, and then. Chick fil A or whatever. Like, it's just like all the coolest shit is right in the middle of all the not coolest shit. And like, it's not like, like, you go to Columbia City and you're just like, all it's of it. It's unclear whether
1: which Duro side Waffle House is
0: on of that line. I, oh, like, you walk down Columbia City, right? And you're just like, everything here is tailor made for hipster white people. You're just like, cool. Yeah. Just like fucking inject into my veins. I get it. I don't want to like this. Look, the French Dispatch, it's okay. It's good. I get it. It's made for me. I got it. Like I will receive this in Nashville. You're just like, I'm here right there. There's a corporate business, but these all sort of exist on the same continuum in East Nashville. It's something very different than I think happens in Seattle. Um, And I, I also, I want to say spent a night uh, hanging out and drinking at a college party until 4am after that, was walking back to our Airbnb in East Nashville and walked through the drive-thru line at a place called Cookout. Have you ever heard of Cookout
1: before? I believe I have heard of Cookout.
0: Cookout is the fucking shit right now. You can
1: walk through the drive-thru
0: line? Apparently, we had set it up. I mean, again, been drinking all night and like walked through the line, talked to the dude behind us who was in a car. He seemed cool. And it was like, hey, we're walking through. Like, if they don't let us walk through, can we get in your car and order food? And he was like, absolutely, of course. (laughs) They let us walk through. And after that, I was like, yo, we should pay for that dude's food. Paid for the dude behind us food because of the southern hospitality of being willing to, to let us do that. Just like, he really, he was so happy about it, right? It wasn't threatening in any way. It was just like, of course. Of course I would let you do that. So. And the cookout was phenomenal. It's like freaking $6 for a meal or whatever. It was pretty incredible. And you could get onion rings and fries <laughs> together in one. Oh, it, was, it was a phenomenal experience. Fucking loved cookout. So clutch. Open late. It was huge. I, I loved every single part of Nashville, Tennessee.
1: I feel like you had a very different national experience than I did. You didn't so walk, walk through a, lo- a cookout i tried out one time feels like you didn't spend nearly as much time how many on college uh, parties did you go did you give a zero. toast i
0: straight up met these people <laughs> what? i met these people two hours earlier and then was giving a toast for somebody's birthday my toast was i their name as we're here and you're collected with all of your friends that you've known for a long period of time, your close friends and your family, and two dudes that you met two hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody loved it. It was like, d- dude, Nashville is it is the fucking shit. Like, it is such a great hang city.
1: Did you go to the main drag of Nashville, like downtown Nashville, at all? I truly I can't don't remember what the name e- is. Don't even
0: know what you mean. Main
1: Street. Okay. It, then, look, then if you, you read Reese's Notes... Oh, I,
0: I didn't get to the point here. If you read Reese's Notes, he would say that I believe it's called Main Street. It is described right. as a quote, cesspool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's, where, that's where I ended up spending most of oh, my sorry, time. Oh, sorry, Broadway. So, if you go to Broadway, Broadway yes. quote,
0: downtown, the only bar worth going in is Robert's Western World. The rest of that zone is a cesspool. So, what I would like to propose to you is... I've gotten approval for this. We have consent to take these notes and on the Pelton cast website, we have the Pelton cast guide to Nashville as written by Reese.
1: By all means, we've already got the Seattle guide. So now we've got the Nashville. guide. We have a Seattle guide on there.
0: I I would love the idea if people are going to a certain city and making up guides, like this is such a great place to host them. And that, uh, 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 we, I want it to be a resource, right? You're talking about Tom Charlotte guide. Like, Again, I don't know if anybody's going to Charlotte, but would love to host the guide to Charlotte because people hit us up about this for Portland, Seattle, etc. And I I feel like sometimes L.A. and Vegas being able to go there and to go to the PeltonCast website and just be like, OK, give me the real shit. Right. Like, we, you know, what's up, you know, the tourist attractions, this the the things that Reese was sending me are not the tourist attractions. It's like, here's where I'm going to go if I want to listen to music and play pool. And I. Right. Yeah. So let's, let's by get that way, on there.
1: I saw Barnwell posted about uh, best friend by Roy Choi. And I feel like in Vegas, and I feel like I desperately need to go there the next time I'm in Vegas. I'm down. Probably summer league. I'm down. So, all right, back to Seattle sports. So anyway, the sounders. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I mean, they seem to play a phenomenal match today. You told me that Christian Roldan wasn't playing.
1: Uh, No, No, well, yeah, I told you that at first, and then you corrected and pointed out that I meant Raul Ruiz diaz Oh, Uh, that
0: that was it. You just were, you misspoke.
1: I did. Mm, Okay. So let's, I guess we should talk about the broader context of the Sounders here for a second. So the Sounders have their last two games in CONCACAF Champions League at home, including earlier Tuesday night before this podcast, which is now dragging on into Wednesday morning. Uh, have just been like exactly the dominant team that everyone pegged as the favorite in MLS. They had the five nothing win in their second game against Matagua, and then tonight a three nothing win against León, avenging the three two loss in last year's league's cup final. And then in between, they have two played two incredibly shitty MLS games. Uh, maybe a little bit more predictably last Saturday at Real Salt Lake, a game that was marked by a two-hour lightning delay just before halftime, where temperatures dipped into the low 30s with precipitation by the end of the game. Now, I didn't watch this because I was in Boston, so I can't say for sure whether it was snow or just cold rain, but it definitely sounds unpleasant either way. The sound is also with an eye towards cold this match. sounds
0: it's- worse snow i
1: agree i 100 agree uh but not fun for soccer either way uh the sounders started just four of their 10 preferred outfield starters due to the injuries due to injuries and then the rest ahead of this matchup on tuesday although four of the others played off the bench and they also notably returned for that one match to the 3-4-2-1 lineup they employed last season with the three-man back line uh bobby wood got the lone goal just after halftime Sounders managed to just 0.8 shot-based expected goals to 3.0 for Real Salt Lake, according to a 538 Soccer Power Index. But a very different story again tonight against Leon. Got a Freddie Montero penalty in the 31st minute to open the scoring. Montero scored again in the 39th minute on a run set up by both Roldan brothers on the right wing. And then after just peppering chances throughout the second half, the Sounders finally added a third in stoppage time is Jordan Morris finished a terrific left-footed ball from Christian Roldan, taking a big lead to Leon for the second leg. Uh, the, with the away goals' try-breaker, this means that the Sounders managed to score in the road match next Thursday. Leon would have to score five goals <laughs> to win in advance.
0: Uh, so they're still doing, I heard that in the UEFA Champions League, they're not doing road goals anymore.
1: Yes, in CONCACAF Champions League, that continues to be a thing. And also, they don't play extra time, as you'll recall.
0: How unprecedented would it be if the Sounders were to beat León in this home-and-home series? Not
1: not unprecedented. I mean, they've advanced to the semifinals before and beaten a Mexican side, Liga MX side, to get there. But, uh, I mean, León is, you know, sometimes it'll happen against relatively weaker Liga MX sides that happen to find their way into Champions League for it to be a a squad that, again, was the runner-up last year in the Apertura in Leon and had won, beat the Sounders, you know, pretty handily in the league's cup. I mean, it was a three, two final, but Leon was clearly the better team in that matchup. And look, they've got a challenge to win on the, to, you know, make sure that they don't get destroyed on the road in Leon next Thursday, but a three it's goal a buffer. Pretty feels huge pretty edge. Nice. I don't, <clears throat> I don't think the Sounders have ever had this big, a buffer have ever had this big of a win over a league MX team with MX team. As far as I could tell, looking through their cheeks, conca cap champions league history i
0: mean it, it was not close like yeah i mean they controlled this game i think the sounders could have very easily gotten a fourth goal and there was maybe one dangerous chance for leon really all th- yeah. all things considered there was one i mean the, the that... closest
1: they came to scoring was there was the review of a handball by christian rodin in the box that could have given them a penalty, but it was determined that there was an offsides before that. Mm. So therefore, that's what caused it not to be a penalty. It
0: was determined in the game by me that I had no idea what the fuck was going on.
1: <laughs> there was one where it's definitely better to be at home watching.
0: The it would broadcast. be nice if they would give you anything, though. Like if the ref would be like, hey, here's what's going on. But it's just nothing.
1: Not the tradition of soccer. Very different with then Zach Zarba on the call Sunday in Boston. A thorough explanation of his review.
0: I mean, I I don't get who it hurts by explaining what's going on, but.
1: Yeah. Uh, Nico Ladero and Rel Ridiaz both missed out on this match as they did last Saturday due to injury, as did key reserves, Josh Atencio, Will Bruin, and Jimmy Madronda. Of that group, Ladero seems the closest to returning. He was listed as questionable <laughs> ahead of the match, and it seems likely the Sounders are aiming for next Thursday's game in Lyon to... Uh, bring him back in the lineup before that, the Sounders will host the LA galaxy on Sunday afternoon on the network Fox trying to improve on their 14th and final place standing in the Western conference in MLS play. Uh, the galaxy by contrast have started the MLS schedule with a pair of wins, both by one, nothing finals. Javier Chicharito Hernandez scored in the season opener after scoring 17 goals last season, tied with Raul Ruiz Diaz for third in MLS. All
0: right.
1: Uh, O.L. Reign drew the Portland Thorns 0-0 in their preseason opener on Saturday, then beat the Chicago Red Stars 2-1 on Tuesday night behind a pair of goals in the span of a couple of minutes from former Chicago midfielder Nikki Stanton, a revenge goal and Ziara King. Uh, Neither Rose Lavelle nor Megan Rapinoe have suited up yet for the Reign. The tournament concludes with a matchup on Friday, as we discussed last week against the US Women's National Team U23 team. We are 10 days away right now from the start of the NWSL Challenge Cup. Uh, UW softball bats came back to life against lesser competition in the UNLV tournament this weekend as the Huskies averaged eight runs per game, but they still lost 5-4 in extra innings to Houston on Friday in a game Gabby Plain did not start, although she did actually give up the winning run coming in as a reliever in the eighth Uh, in extra innings. Apparently they do the now in softball, the baseball thing where a runner starts on second. Okay. Uh, Bailey Klinger, Klingler hit 500 and had three home runs in the five games in Vegas. Well, Olivia Johnson hit a pair of home runs, uh, was four of 14 at the plate. Uh, then the Huskies run ruled Robert Morris in their first home game of the season on Tuesday, 11, nothing in five innings with Brooke Nelson going the distance for her second win of the season. After that quick pit stop in Seattle, the Huskies are headed to Fort Collins, Colorado this weekend for the Colorado State Invitational with three matchups against Northern Colorado, two against the host Rams. Despite the loss, Huskies still ranked at number seven in the country. Okay. So people believing in Gabby Plain and the Husky bats.
0: Okay. I mean, it's nice you don't, to see the bats coming alive. It feels like that's kind of where they sit right now. Maybe slightly behind the, the cream of the uh, uh, NCAA women's softball, but right there in the mix. Hopefully so. And and it'll come down to how dominant Gabby Plain is in the women's college role series. And the bats. I, if the bats know I mean, hopefully that they get to that
1: point. Let's let's get to that point first and just not be seated like sixteenth or whatever. It oh, was that was year. offensive. It was. Uh you know women's basketball season, side season come to an end with a sixty four fifty two loss in the Pac twelve tournament opener Wednesday against Colorado. They hung tough, entered the final quarter down just one. Uh, Nancy Mulkey had 11 points and four blocks in her final collegiate game, while Missy Peterson had eight points in 11 minutes in her finale. It'll be interesting to see uh, if Mulkey gets drafted. You know, she had been in the WNBA draft last year, early is in giving up her final year of eligibility before deciding to come back and play a year at UW. So that comes up uh, next. I believe it's April 11th is the WNBA draft. UW men's basketball wrapped up the regular season with a pair of wins over the over schools to finish tied for fifth in the Pac-12 at 11-9. Uh, they largely knocked the Ducks off the bubble with Thursday's 78-67 win, leading by as many as 21 in perhaps their most impressive performance of the season. Uh, the, that and their one win at home against Stain for the only two games they won all season against teams as high or higher in the standings as them uh terrell brown jr and emmett matthews jr had 25 points apiece the latter of nine on nine of 13 shooting while brown went 11 of 13 at the foul line and nate roberts had a double double of 18 points 16 boards thursday and then on senior day saturday against oregon state the huskies took a 14 point lead to the locker room led by as many as 25 before again taking their foot off the gas late for an identical 78 67 final score in both games last weekend, Brown had 24 points. Roberts again, 16 rebounds, in addition to 13 points. So we talked about the Huskies definitely had two, you know, two players that are eligible out of eligibility in Terrell Brown Jr. and Dejon Davis. Uh, nine players went through Senior Day festivities on Saturday. Uh, in addition to them, walk-ons Jonah Guerin, Regan Lundin, and Noah Neubauer, former walk-on Riley Sorn, and then their three starters with a year of remaining eligibility, Jamal Bay, Matthews, and Nate Roberts, all participated in the senior day festivities. And Roberts, at one point during his uh, interview after the game on Thursday, referred to the weekend as, quote, my last two games here. So uh, we'll we'll see what happens there.
0: <laughs> Will we? I think we know what's going to happen there.
1: He wouldn't commit to it on Saturday. Both Roberts and Bay would have immediate eligibility of transfer as transfers if they want to play their fifth season elsewhere. Matthews doesn't have that option because he's kind of in the Jake Hayner situation where he's already taken advantage of his transfer. Actually, I mean Hayner was less clear because Hayner transferred before the one-time eligibility rule. Matthews transferred after that came into play. So uh finishing eleven and nine. One book by by Nate Roberts. Why
0: I'm not coming back to the University oh, of Washington no. next season, as written uh, by Nate Roberts. Uh, Still unclear what's going to happen. Well, you know, you not playing twitch. at the University of Washington in the 2022-2023 season. Nu by Nate Roberts. <laughs>
1: it's a bestseller. The Huskies lost the unclear. tiebreaker with Oregon, despite the fact that the Ducks then went on to lose at Washington State. So, like, they're they're not even listed in the bubble watch anymore. Oh, That's the bubble watch Oregon of the Pac-12 was
0: kind of hilarious. It was just it's like, nobody.
1: it was a middle finger to the Pac-12. <laughs> well, it wasn't a middle finger. It's just like, there's no middle class in the Pac-12. Either you're going to be a top four seed in the NCAA tournament, or you ain't going. Because Oregon was the one team that was in the middle, and they fucked it up in, in the state of Washington. Uh, So they won the tiebreaker with Washington State, as we talked about last week, to finish as the number six seed in the Pac-12 tournament. They'll face number 11 Utah in the opening round on Wednesday night. Uh, Despite the Huskies winning seven more conference games than the Utes, Ken Baum considers this game a true toss-up, largely because of non-conference play. The Utes were number 75 when full conference play started. The Huskies were number 159 at that point. But they have since met in the middle, Huskies number 117, Utah number 118.
0: I mean, I think you have to say that at this point, the conference play matters more than the preseason play for the Huskies.
1: I mean, the Huskies are certainly playing their best basketball right now. Uh, They won both head-to-head meetings against Utah, but needed double overtime at Heckett as part of the most recent meeting on January 29th. Uh, Utah got a pretty impressive win back on February 17th at Stanford as part of a Bay Area sweep before losing their last three games at home to the Arizona schools in Colorado. Player to watch here really seven-footer Brandon Carlson, who had 18 points on 7 of 13 shooting against the Huskies in Seattle.
0: And who would they be playing if they won?
1: The winner will face USC late night on Thursday, uh, the Trojans. Comfortably beat the Huskies in their only matchup this season. Not
0: a, not an unwinnable game, though.
1: It's not unwinnable, but you would feel a little different if it was Colorado and it was at least a team you'd beaten this season. But you wouldn't would be say. shocked. So if they need
0: two wins to get to the final.
1: They need three wins to get to the final.
0: Oh, OK. The, yeah, so they then they'd They play, need to win one more after that.
1: They'd play presumable UCLA as the number two seed if things went to form. OK in the semifinals. Uh, I mean, the Huskies have not beaten a team as good as USC all season. So basically the best team, the best team they've beaten remains Washington state, according to Ken Paul,
0: the, the like ranking of the games that so they would need four games to win the Pac-12 tournament.
1: Yes. It goes, if you play the first day,
0: like yeah. may, pro- probably feels like there's a pretty good chance to, it could happen. It could happen against USC. Not likely, but possibly to, eh, I don't know about that, to no fucking chance.
1: <laughs> I mean, they would uh, they would play two top 10 schools, again, if seeds held in UCLA and Arizona, according to Ken Palm.
0: Okay. Well, you know.
1: And we've seen what's happened head-to-head with those two teams, including in Seattle.
0: This is the fun part about NCAA basketball, I will say. I, I hate almost every single aspect of it, but not having a team be eliminated at this point Oh, always having hope down to the very 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 last second is fun
1: not not everyone has a chance because there are some conference tournaments where not everyone makes it notably the uh the ivy league where i think it's only like 14
0: what are those nerds now
1: the twelve. <laughs> i the hate PAC that 10... why does not
0: everybody make it
1: well they didn't have a tournament at all for a long period of time i mean obviously they don't the want Power more 10 tv was... money like t- the Pac-10 was one of the last to adopt the conference tournament. I don't. Do you recall the? I mean, the first conference oh, of tournament of the modern era was 201-02? Uh I think where the Huskies lost to. I want to say Oregon is the number one seed that year. Oh,
0: I remember the pre-conference tournament era. It's yeah, terrible. I, mean, the, I hate it.
1: We look back. Well, you think back at the fond memories of that UCLA game, the end of my freshman year, where they beat that. Earl Watson, Jason Capono, UCLA team. And that was the final game of the season because there was no tournament at that point. Yeah, that sucked. We ended on a high note. It was like the Seahawks beating the uh, Cardinals in Russell Wilson's last ever game. Yeah,
0: nothing bad ever happens after that.
1: When you're uh, riding high from a big W over the
0: Lions. That's
1: how did they fucking trade him now?
0: It's <laughs> still ridiculous. <laughs> it's I love, be, my favorite shit is how happy people were after beating the Lions and beating the Cardinals. Like, it's like, yeah, motherfucker.
1: Just wait. <laughs> it's be like August, and I'm just gonna all of a sudden out of the middle of nowhere in a podcast be like, "Really? You couldn't have waited one year to trade for Russell Wilson?" Shield Kapadia, by the way, do you do you want to know what Shield Kapati has for this trade was?
0: Oh, I didn't know he does trade grades.
1: Do you have a guess? Wow. Barnwell wrote about it, but did not do grades.
0: I think he gave the Seahawks a C minus. D. A D. Straight D. What do you get the Broncos? B plus. Cool.
1: Love to be on that D side of the trades. Uh, it's how would you time compare
0: for it to the. I since we're here, as far as recent NBA star players being traded, how would you compare that? What would would have been a D like, trade? What as being what, on the opposite end of a superstar trade?
1: When the Kings traded Tyrese Halliburton for Demontis Sabonis, that was a D trade. Okay, i processing this.
0: I I actually don't think it was probably as bad as that because Halliburton's like 22 years old. That's why I had it as a
1: D plus. I mean,
0: Halliburton will probably never be as good in the NBA as Russell Wilson is. And Halliburton's way closer to getting paid. Like how many years does he have cheap? He has like two cheap years left after this. Yeah. And then if those two years pan out, then he's going to be paid crazy money. So. But Damontis
1: Simonis is going to be, if he re-signs with the Kings, also pay no, money in two I years. I agree. I agree.
0: Every good player is a time bomb. Every good player <laughs> is just literally the second that a player is valuable. They are in the NBA more than the NFL. Like, it's just a clock until you have to pay them, and then they screw up the rest of your roster.
1: Yeah. <laughs> It's just like you don't, don't have good players. They screw up the rest of your
0: roster. I mean, again, I told you I watched the Godfellows episode of Futurama yesterday, which is just like it just hits in every capacity. And Bender's trying to do good things for people. But when he does one good thing, a bunch of bad things happen after that. And it's like if you have one good thing, like you pay Russell Wilson, boom, you alienate your entire defense and can't pay them. There, You just that's what that's what it is. Right. The salary. I mean, it's
1: hard choices is what it is
0: the salary cap forces you to really understand where you're allocating your money and when you allocate money somewhere you're not allocating somewhere else
1: that is true so by definition it's time for our San Francisco update hello i was watching in a bar in boston from afar keeping an eye on that score as they beat BYU 75-63 on saturday in the west coast conference quarter tournament quarterfinals all but assured their first NCAA tournament berth since I wrote in a date, but forgot to go check out whether it was correct or not. Wow. It is definitely it's in the, the late 1990s. Uh, it was 1998 when they won the, won the West Coast Conference Tournament, which I think would have been the year before Gonzaga's run, right? But they were, like, pretty excited about winning it in 1998. Like, we got like, this yeah, we'll definitely do this Decades again. of San Francisco basketball. <laughs> and then Gonzaga happened.
0: 1998 was, like, kind of, for us, like, the peak of college basketball, right?
1: Uh, I mean, I think for me, 2005 was the peak of college basketball. Well,
0: sure, but, like, it was pre one and done It was like, you had, like, superstars in college. Like, it was, like, Andre Godala, right? Anton well, Jameson, were they around then? There, there was like. That's
1: much too early for Andre Iguodala. You are probably thinking of one of the players on the team that they lost to that made it to the final four that season, if I recall correctly. uh, Which was, and I do recall correctly, they lost in the first round as the number fourteen seed to Utah and Andre Miller. Andre
0: Miller, they they were like legit stars in college. In like this year, I couldn't tell you who. I know like three players across all. Like North Carolina beat Duke, and I know that North Carolina is a college, and I know that Duke is a college. And the <laughs> amount of players that I know in that game are Paulo Bonquero, and that's it.
1: There's many other notable players on Duke. But it's just like North Carolina does not have as big stars. I mean, they have veteran college players. The, the, they have the guy from Oklahoma. I'm
0: not complaining. This is right. I mean, players shouldn't go to college at all, if we're being honest. But like, there were legit stars who played multiple seasons in college in 1988. That is correct. And now it's just like
1: I mean, Utah lost to the the North Carolina team had Jamison and Vince Carter and Ed Coda and Shamond Williams. They didn't win the title that year though, that Kentucky ended up winning it. So
0: who did Kentucky have? They had friggin...
1: pre rondo, uh,
0: right? It was way oh, yeah. pre rondo. Way pre rondo. Did they have the coach's son?
1: Yes, yeah, Saul Smith.
0: Saul Smith. Yeah, Tubby Smith's son.
1: Yeah. Uh the best long term player on that team was one time NBA All-Star Jamal McGlure. Oh yeah. They also had Scott Paget, Nazi Mohammed.
0: Shouts to uh, uh Tom's Guide to Charlotte.
1: Wayne Turner, Heshimu Evans. <laughs> Wait, because Jamal McGlure played for the Hardest. Yeah, wasn't he drafted by them? <laughs> he was. Yeah. Sure.
0: All right. Anyway.
1: Uh,
0: uh, So San Francisco is going to the NCAA tournament, likely.
1: Yeah, they are currently a nine seed in ESPN's bracketology. So they are comfortably in at this point, despite losing to Gonzaga on Monday in the semifinals. Fell behind 47 27 at halftime before, much like against the Huskies last weekend, made a late rally for a respectable 81 71 final. Uh, Gonzaga, you will not believe this, went on to win the West Coast Conference Tournament. As they beat St. Mary's in Tuesday's final. I am... It it is all but certain, I I imagine, that uh, I will be seeing Gonzaga when I cover the first round of the NCAA Tournament in in a week and a half in Portland. Mm. It's going to be Gonzaga Central, for sure.
0: They're the number one overall seed, likely.
1: Uh, I I think so. I don't think they dropped from number one because all the teams lost when they lost. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, lastly, a quick note on UW football. We got some scheduling news on Monday. The Huskies will play a pair of Friday games this season at UCLA on September 30th, and then home versus Oregon State on November 4th. That latter game comes after a bye week for UW, meaning only one game on five days rest. To the extent that matters, which is probably very little. So coming up on spring, spring practice, they did get their first commit for
0: 2023 as well yesterday, right?
1: They did. Yes. A running back. So we'll have more UW football coming in the future, I suppose.
0: I'm Sure we will. Yeah. (laughs) That that only level raised to the level of, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Sorry. In the near future. Did the freaking Husky football trade away their best quarterback of all time? They did not. I don't know because why you'd they, be down husky football's their future's bright right now.
1: It is. I it wasn't suppose. like I'm down on Husky Football. That was like uh I don't don't know for sure we'll have Husky Football News next
0: week. Further husky football news.
1: Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you get to like hour three of podcasting for the day. You get a little loopy. I don't know what to tell you. Out of, it's like out of a 12 hour stretch here. I guess it's up to th- maybe up to 13 now. So
0: it's funny because uh, outside of that, we've talked to each other for extended period of time in between. That's true.
1: <laughs> it's just too much you and I talking to each other at this point.
0: saying. you're saying, are saying, break. it's been a very strange day. It has. It was not at all what I expected when I woke up. And uh, and again, I think Pete Carroll and John Schneider woke up today on March 8th, 2022, and chose violence. And here we are. An era ended. They built it up, and they tore it back down.
1: All I can say is what a gear this day has been.
0: Mm-hmm. On that note. Thanks for listening.
1: Thanks. Hello and welcome to episode three hundred four of the fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Polychi Pizza. Oh, I forgot to say Well,
0: yeah, what were you waiting for? I thought you were just pausing because I laughed. Start that again. Start that again.